Technology, don't you love it? You love it when it works. When it doesn't, what a pain. Currently, my laptop's having a spares. Uh, so it seems like we've been a bit cursed this morning. But Lord, we just pray that all technology will work for us in Jesus' name. Because otherwise, it's going to be a boring sermon. Because I've just got altar call written here. Uh, so maybe we should just have one big altar call. Just, uh, just jump back on thinking that. Um, hey, uh, notices that are happening. There's one more thing we're going to talk about. Um, we are going to do some stuff for uh, the um, women's refuge. So um, I think we might even have a slide for that. Have you got a slide for that um, behind you? That would be awesome. Um, yes, look at that. Um, so, so I don't know if you know what the Women's Refuge does, but uh, it's an amazing organization. It basically looks after uh, women who... Um, uh, come from very broken backgrounds. Um, they just need a place that is safe. Um, they've been in abusive relationships and, and mess has gone down in their lives and they just need a safe place. And uh, so, but because of that, because it is a safe place, they also, um, they keep it quite secret. Like, I don't even know where the Women's Refuge is in Tamaru. And they keep that secret for a reason um, so that uh, people don't come, those nasty guys who have been doing bad stuff, don't come and find the uh, woman. So um, because of that, they also keep quite a low profile, um, and so they don't get a lot of support. And so we are going to um, do some awesome things. And we want to do this as our e-groups, um, because I, I think um, it's great to do big stuff, but actually there's power in just our e-groups coming together, a group of us serving alongside one another. I'm going to be talking about serving in a sec, and this is kind of a, a practical way we can do it. So... Um, I said to May when we when we um, had this up, I was like, uh, a lot of these things like the dinners and things, my guys' e-group, I, I, w- I wouldn't want to feed the women's refuge ladies what the, what my guys make them. Uh, no offense to the guys in my e-group, but, um, but there are other ways that you can give. You can give financially, you can give um, gifts, you know, um, for the teenagers in these families. Um, there's specific uh, groceries, you can get new toys for kids, not just your hand-me-downs. Um, so, yeah, just um, encourage you. Uh, we're going to be doing that as an e-group, and your e-group leaders will be talking to you about that. Is that good? Awesome. Okay. Um, we're going to make this work a different way because we can. So, has anybody heard of the Pareto Principle? Anybody know what the Pareto Principle is? Oh, I've got a smarty in the, in the house. That's awesome. It's also known, for those of you who haven't heard of it, which is everybody else except for Andrew, uh, it's also known as the 80-20 rule. How many of you heard of that? Yeah, a lot of a few more of you heard of that. It's a rule that states that for my, for many things in life, 80% of the results come from just 20% of the action, or roughly 20% of the effect comes from 80% of the effect comes from 20% of the cause. It comes from an Italian economist. His name was Vilfredo Pareto, uh, who in the 1800s noticed that 80% of all the land in Italy was owned by 20% of the people. And uh, he, he developed this principle, and it's actually come to be applied in lots of different fields. Uh, I'll just give you a few of them. In business, 80% of sales come from about 20% of clients. Distribution of wealth, like locally and globally, you, you, you see that about 80% of the wealth today is owned by just 20% of the richest people. 
And that includes us, by the way. Um, computing. Uh, Microsoft noted that by fixing the top 20% of the most reported bugs, then 80% of the related errors and crashes in a given system are eliminated. In sports training, apparently, 20% of your exercise gives about 80% of the benefit. In health and safety, um, 80% of the problems can be fixed by 20% um, of um, the issues. In crime stats, 80% of the crimes are done by 20% of the criminals. It just goes on and on in different areas. And I reckon I, reckon I can apply this to my family as well. Because I reckon 80% of the mess it comes from, like, can anybody... anybody? Agree with me, comes to like 20% of the people. I won't name names here. Uh, possibly in your workplace, 80% of the problems come from 20% of the people. Or maybe it's just one person. Uh, you know, we could apply it to so many areas of our lives. It's actually been applied to church. There's been studies done that show that in the majority of churches, 80% of the results come from 20% of the people gone awfully quiet in here. Uh, and this, wasn't, this isn't just on Sundays either. This is actually in everyday life. 80% of the, the, the effectiveness of people is often, uh, is often just down to 20% of, of the people. Uh, and this shouldn't be. This just shouldn't be. It's a model that some Italian dude in the 1800s developed, uh, but he was actually just observing human nature. He was actually just reflecting what happens, goes on in the world around us. And, and too often we reflect, as the church, we reflect the world. Just inadvertently because we, we don't realize how countercultural we need to be. And actually, it shouldn't be the way. That's not God's intention for us, to follow the Pareto principle. It's actually God has something far better for us. Because that, that is just a, a principle that's based in a broken system and a broken world. You know, to have 20% of, of us do 80% of the work, it's unhealthy because those 20% of the people get tired because they're doing the work of 100%. And, 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 it, and the rest of us, the 80%, are just kind of cruising in on the co- uh, coattails of, of the 20%. Or to flip it around, 80% of us should not be being ineffectual while, while 20% are making the difference. Imagine a church that smashed that principle and just said, you know what, we're 100% of us, we're all going to serve, we're all going to do something. That would be powerful. We would see a revolution, I reckon, and we'd be able to do so much more. So today, we're talking in our series, Together Together, we're talking about, guess what, serving. And before you think this is just Dave's recruitment drive to get me serving on a team in church, because it is partly, I, I make, I'm, I'm not hiding that fact, that I want us all to serve. But it is, a, it is a, a wider principle that actually can be applied to our lives and actually should be applied to our lives because Jesus modeled it for us before there was a church. He modeled it to the 12 disciples before there was ever the early church. And it's something that he actually wants us to, to apply in all of our life. So I want you to think just, just beyond Dave trying to recruit people, and think, no, how can I apply this idea of serving together in my life? Can we do that? Awesome. Because we're actually called to a lifetime of service to one another. Did you realize that? To our families. You, when, you, when you have kids, you realize that. Because all of a sudden, there's this little dictator in your house. And you're just serving them like 90% of your waking hours. And you're like, wow, 
I didn't know what service was until I had a child. But we're called to serve our family, but we're also called to serve our friends. We're called to serve our workmates, to serve our neighbors, to serve strangers, to even serve our enemies. We're actually called to a lifetime of service. So if you're taking notes today, that's good, because you should. If you're not, grab something to write on. And my first point that's coming right at you is, is this. You are most like Jesus when you serve. We are most like Jesus when we serve. The most Christ-like among us are those who serve. Matthew 20, 25 to 27 says this. Jesus called them together, calling together disciples, getting in a huddle. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, the context of this, Jesus saying this to the disciples, is pretty funny, actually. Because James and John, they've asked their mum to go on behalf of them and, and, and curry favor with Jesus. And basically, they're asking, hey, Jesus, can we be next to you, onto your left and to your right, when you enter into your kingdom. Now, we don't know, do they mean the heavenly kingdom? We th- probably, they were thinking the earthly kingdom. And they were thinking that Jesus was going to establish some great reign and rule on the earth. And so they pretty much they wanted to be like the prime minister and uh, the deputy prime minister of Jesus' kingdom. And so they'd ask that. And then Jesus comes in and says what he says. He flips it on its head. He says, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. If you want to be great in my kingdom, then you have to be the lowest. If you want to be recognized, you have to serve. Jesus actually equates the service with greatness. You know, the greatest leader is actually the greatest servant. It's, it's completely backwards, but that's how Jesus works. That's how the kingdom of God works. It's so counter-cultural. And if we think about it, we as Christians believe that the greatest leader who ever walked the face of the earth is Jesus. And therefore, he was also the greatest servant. And it's true, because he didn't just speak about this, he lived it. If we flip over to John 13, I'm going to read you this passage. And it's the most famous passage around serving one another there is. So I couldn't really go past it. So we're going to read it. John 13, starting verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, 
those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So my first point is that we're... we're when we're most Christ-like when we serve. And that's what Jesus was, was giving us an amazing example of. My second point is that only secure people can truly serve. You see, if you look at that passage, in verse 3 it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, it all hinges on that word, so. Because Jesus knew who he was, because he was secure in, in whom he belonged to, therefore he could serve with complete humility. When we know whose we are, when we know whose we belong to, when we have that right reckoning in line with God and with others, then we are free to serve one another. We don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to put on ears and, and go, well, they should be serving me, or I'm above that. No, when we know, when we humbly realize who our God is and, and who He's called us and placed, that the Spirit He's placed in us, then we can serve from that place. We realize that we aren't actually above anybody else based on, on race, based on on age, that can be a big thing for, for some of us, based on our sex, based on our social standing. And that's, that's something that I think is beautiful about the church. I love that, that we, have, we have people from all walks of life, people who are retired, people who are working professionals or, or who are tradespeople or who are stay-at-home parents, people who are, who are you know, from all different age brackets, serving alongside one another. It's, it's, that's actually countercultural. You might not realize, but the, the, the world doesn't work like that. The world has hierarchies. I love how the church is just, it levels it all out. That's because Jesus modeled it for us, because he was the greatest, and yet he served in the lowest way. Now, there's a danger here. Jesus served from a place of security. But what happens when we don't serve from a place of security. Because a lot of people are running around serving, but they're doing it for the wrong reasons. They're serving because they're trying to ingratiate themselves with people. They're serving because they think that people will like them. They're serving because they want, they want the favor of people, and they think, oh, if I do this for this person, then they will like me. They're doing it because they feel obliged to do it. There are so many wrong reasons that we, that we serve. And, and, and so for, for those of you who are here today and you're serving already, I would challenge you, you know, what is the reason behind that? Are you secure in who you are and therefore you know that you can serve from that place? Or are you doing it to please the pastor? Are you doing it in your workplace to please the boss? Are you doing it to, to, to please your spouse or whoever it is? Are you doing it for the wrong reason? Or 
Have you secured yourself in Christ? Because Jesus knew who he was, he could truly serve. Because when we serve out of the wrong reasons, then we get attitudes about it, right? And we, and we get a stink attitude around our service, and we get disgruntled, and we start to, to grumble about it, and we, we despise people who make us serve, make us serve, ask us to serve. You know, we, we do it with the wrong heart. But when we do it out of a place of, you know, I choose to do this because of the grace of God in my life. I can do this. I am free to do this, and I, and I will do this. There's a big difference. So I just, I just encourage you, for those of you who are sitting back there and going, well, I already serve, uh, I'm good. No, no, why do you do it? And where do you do it from? Do you do it from a place of security? My third point, you guys still with me? You're very quiet today. Give me a yell. Say, hey, Dave. Oh, good, hey. Good, good, you're there. It's just the lights are a bit dark. I'm just uh, uh, not sure who, who's out there. So number three is true servants do whatever is required. True servants do whatever is required. Jesus washed his disciples' feet because that's what needed done. Don't go around washing people's feet. Go, oh, well, you know, it's what Jesus did. No, 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 no. Does it need doing? <laughs> if it don't need doing, don't do it. But you see, in that context, it needed doing. It was the job of the lowest servant. In that culture of the time, they would come in and you know be walking around in the streets, and their 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 feet would be covered with um, dung and dirt and dust and and stuff, and they were wearing sandals. Um, and so the they would take off their sandals, and the servants would wash their feet. The lowest servant. Now they were all sitting around the table, and they didn't used to sit upright at a table like we do. They used to kind of recline around a table, so your feet were kind of sitting next to the person next to you. Uh, so that'd be a bit gross if the feet sitting next to you are all covered in dirt and stuff. And they're probably all sitting there thinking, oh man, I wish someone washed, where's the servant? I wish someone had done this. This isn't, because the thing is they'd be thinking, oh, this isn't my job. This isn't, it's, and isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we say or we think to ourselves? When we come into a situation and we see something that needs to be done, and we go, oh, well, that's not my responsibility. That's not my job. That's the, you know, that's the sound techies. Uh, that's the uh, hosting team's job. That's, maybe it's in your workplace. And it's like, oh, well, that's my colleague's job. Oh, that's, um, that's not mine. Now, I'm not saying you have to do everything. But we too often we, we lose our servant heart because we opt out. Because, we oh, it's not my responsibility. And in that situation, all the other disciples... Remember that they are lower than Jesus in that setting. He's the rabbi. He's the teacher. So they should be serving him. And yet in that space, he says, yeah, you know what? Nobody's doing this. I'm going to do it. Wow. See, a true servant will do whatever is required. And don't you love those people? Don't you want those people in your life? Who when they, you know, you, you're trying to organize something or some, make something happen and they just go, you, leave that to me, I'll take care of that. I love those people. If you're one of those people, I love you. Uh, come to my church every week. We love those people. But do we want to be those people? <laughs> well, that's the harder question. Do we, do we, are we those people? I've got a, uh, an example. It's, it's just to my shame here. We, uh, I have a, um, a monthly meeting with the pediatric team, 
and uh, rocked up to this meeting, and uh, the social worker who normally takes minutes was like, oh, someone brought the laptop, and uh, the laptop's way over in another building, up the flight stairs, and, and uh, it was in our office, but it wasn't my responsibility to get it. Um, so I was sitting there, oh, no, we didn't know we needed it, I didn't get it. And then my colleague says, oh, no, yeah, no, it's in our office, I'll go get it. And I was just sitting there going, oh, Dave. <laughs> You've just got shown up by your non-church, unchristian uh, work colleague who's humbly going to run all the way back over there and pick up the laptop and bring it back for the meeting. And I was just sitting there going, ah, oh, Mr. Trick there. Now, I'm not heaping condemnation on myself, but I'm just giving you a very practical example of how, you know, we just get lazy. We just go, oh, it's not my responsibility. Actually, it's, it's, it's not my job, so therefore I won't do it. We all do it from time to time. But you see, the thing about a true servant is they like they will do whatever needs done, regardless of whether it's their responsibility. Okay, you still with me? You're all feeling convicted this morning? Good. All right, number four. Sometimes serving is actually letting others serve. Sometimes serving is actually letting others serve. What does that mean? Well, we've got Peter here in the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And Peter says, no, in verse 8, he says, no, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now, it can be very humbling to, to, to serve someone, but it can also be very humbling to have someone else serve you, right? And, and, and for, for, for Peter, I think that's what he was feeling. I think he was like, man, Jesus, you're my rabbi. You shouldn't be doing this to me. Uh, for me, imagine if you know Barack Obama was around uh, for dinner with you and some other people, and uh, he started serving you, and you'd be like, "No, no, Barack, please let me get that for you," because you would feel awkward, possibly, or insert the person that you admire uh, into that space. But you see, we can get sometimes get so tired with our to our service that it becomes who we are, and we we define ourselves by it. And then when, when people are actually wanting to serve us, we, we, we don't know how to take that. We're like, no, 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 you, you shouldn't have to do that. Sometimes that's actually a barrier to releasing them in their service. You know, for a long time in church, I, I used to be the first to come and the last to leave. And that was, that was right in our early days as a church. But I, I, we reached a point that I realized, actually, I'm becoming a limiting factor here. I'm becoming a bottleneck. And I need to release other people to serve, other people to, to come and to set up and to pack down and take the key away at the end of the day. And I, I actually, I, and, I, and I had to realize, actually, that's not humble on my behalf to, to do that every week. Actually, that's a pride issue. That's me thinking that it all relies on me. Well, no, it doesn't. And sometimes... The humble thing to do is actually to release someone else. Is to actually go, no, you, you can serve in this, in, in this capacity. And, and for Peter, he had to realize that. He's like, no, actually, Jesus, you, you can wash my feet. Actually, that's okay. For some of us here, if someone were to offer to do something for you, or to serve you in some way, you'd, you'd find that really hard because you've got this, this facade of independence, this facade of like, no, 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 I can do this. I can get things done. I don't need outside help. Well, guess what? We are together, together 
and we need to allow one another to help each other. We actually have to be humble enough to receive help. Because how many know there's a whole lot of skills in this room that, that I don't have and that you don't have. And we need to be a, a community that, that serves one another by, by actually allowing each other to serve one another. Uh, actually, I was thinking about this just, just in this moment. Where I'm at right now, leading the church, I've had to, uh, I'm leading an E group, and I've, but I've had to uh, take on uh, overseeing worship team and also youth, uh, and and I'm feeling a little bit like butter spread too thinly on toast, and uh, and I was realizing actually I need to release some people again, I need to, uh, to 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 free some people again in those spaces, but what about your in your workplace? Who do you need to empower by letting them take more responsibility? Yes, they might not do it just the way you do it the first time. But they can learn if you release them and you train them. In your home, oh, parents, you're not doing your kids any favors by running around and doing everything for them. You're, building, you're, you're making a rod for your own back. You need to release them, train them to serve. Now, that doesn't mean they're slaves to you all the time. It'll be nice, um, but, you know, we need to release our kids. All the parents said, amen. <laughs> All the kids were like, mm. <laughs> It might be messy to start with, of course, <laughs> but in the long run, but in so many areas of our lives, where do we need to release people? Where do you need to release people to serve? Number five. Uh, that's why I like this one. You'll like this point. See, to serve is to be blessed. To serve is to be blessed. This seems kind of counterintuitive, but it's what Jesus says in verse 17. He says, now that you know these things, these things being how I've just served you, those who, uh, sorry, and then it says, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed if you serve others. Turns out that that maxim of Jesus that it's, it's more blessed to give than to receive is true. If you bless others, if you serve others, then you will be blessed. I love how Proverbs 11.25 puts it. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be what? What? It's even written up there. Be what? Refreshed. That's right. Thank you. There is a joy, there's a refreshing, there's a blessing that comes when we serve. We are missing out on that when we don't. Here's a crazy story to prove this point in a crazy way. From the Old Testament, Elijah, in 1 Kings 17, you can follow along on the screen. Starting in verse 7, sometime later, the brook dried up. So, so just so you know, uh, Elijah's been fed by ravens at a brook because there's been a famine in the land. And uh, so the brook dried up because there'd been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, Oh, and bring me, please, I love how he says please, a piece of bread. 
As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Wow. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, I love the audacity of Elijah, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. Did you not hear her? She only has a small bit, Elijah. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the Lord, word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. It's a crazy story, right? It's a miracle, actually. And the, and the miracle is this, that when we give, when we serve sacrificially, God provides miraculously. You see, our service isn't always easy. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Sometimes you turn up to set up and you're the only one there because other people haven't read the roster. It happens. Sometimes things don't go as planned for the musicians and for the sound people. Sometimes the coffee machine does funny things. Sometimes people annoy you. Sometimes there is stuff that is hard. But I don't think any of us have reached the end where you're just going to go home and die. <laughs> Anybody reached that place? I don't think so. But, but this, is, this is such an amazing example. Jesus is that example to us. Because he gave sacrificially. He gave it all. And, and sometimes we have to realize that our service is going to cost us. Serving in the house of God comes at a cost. But I tell you what, better is one day in the house of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. I can say that from experience because I've been doing it for years. Yes, I get paid as a pastor, but there's a whole lot of stuff I do outside that that, that I don't get, get paid for. And I know, and I've served before I was a pastor, I used to do stuff. I can speak from experience. You get more when you give. You receive more when you give. The grace of God flows more in your life when you serve others. Can I invite the, the band up? And I, I want to bring this back to the life of the church now because I think we miss a trick in our lives. We miss something in our hearts when we don't serve. Serving alongside one another brings life. It brings unity. It brings that togetherness. And you see that. And that's why people love to, to play in sports teams because there's a togetherness that comes. There's a camaraderie that happens when you're serving alongside one another towards a common goal. Some businesses get this. They, they, they thrive and they flourish because they have a great vision and they work alongside one another to achieve that. And that is why the church is so powerful. Because it began with these 12 guys. 
the early church, you know, those 12 guys that Jesus washed their feet, those 12 guys caught that. And they were just ordinary guys, fishermen, tax collectors, just working class guys who served together towards a common goal. And the church was birthed from that. We are here today because of their serving one another and they're serving their world together. There is power in serving. And I actually reckon serving can either make or break your experience of church. Seriously, it will make or break your experience. The people I know who love church the most are those who are in there, in there serving and giving of their time and their energy. More often than not, those who drift into church and drift out of church dissatisfied are those who never contributed and served in church because they haven't owned it as their own. Which brings me back to the Pareto principle that I started with, that 80-20 rule. I want to flip it on its head. I, I, want, to, I want us... Because if 80% of the people, well, it doesn't work. We don't actually want 80% of to work. But you know what I mean. I want us to see every, because we could do so much more. We could achieve so much more. Because we, I tell you what, there, there are so many things you think, oh, I can't do it. Uh, I haven't. No, no, we, we need to. I, I spoke two weeks ago about how we are expanding our tent pegs. We're pushing out. We're spreading out to the right and to the left. That can't happen unless we all get involved and we serve together. I've been doing the budget this week. I hate doing the budget. It's like, it has to be done though. So I, 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 I sit down on my laptop and I, and, I, and, I, and I try and do the budget. But I was, I was praying about it and I was thinking, man, go, you know, what's our greatest needs? The thought came to me, our greatest need isn't actually money. Our greatest need is people are going to put their hand up and say, you know, I'll serve. I'll do that. I'll help out. I can't pay you, though, from the budget. <laughs> it's not how it works. But although we are, I, I'm thinking about employing some more people um, on staff. But there's a, there's a sense that actually that is the most And that's the most powerful thing about at, at church, well, one of the powerful things about our church movement. I, I talk to pastors from other churches, and they are they are wealthy in buildings and in, and in, and finances, but but actually, you know, they're, they're, in people they struggle. They struggle with people getting on board and serving, and I think that just shouldn't be the way. And I think we actually, in Equipers, we have a we have a very good uh, volunteer culture. But I still know we drift towards that 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. And I think we need to, we need to change that. And you might think, oh, I've, I can't do anything. I've got no gifts. Ah, that's rubbish. If you can hold a door open, you can serve in hosting. <laughs> if you can hold a microphone stand, then you can serve in the pack-in and the pack-out team. If you can hold a child's attention, you can serve in kids. If you can hold your nerve, you can serve in youth. <laughs> And if you can hold a tune, you can serve in worship. My challenge today is what do you hold? What do you hold? Because you can hold something in the life of the church. The church is held up by all of us. 
If it was just me, well, I'd be flat and uh, it would be, it would not work. If it was just these guys, it wouldn't work. It's all of us. And so I, I want us all to stand to our feet and we're just gonna, we're gonna pray. And I wanna pray for two groups of people this morning. I, I, I wanna pray for you if, if you're serving in church or in your uh, workplace or in your family, but you're actually, you think, man, I'm not sure that I'm doing this the right way. I'm not sure either A, my, my motives are right. Maybe uh, am I just doing this to serve people? Or B, I'm not releasing other people. I'm not, I'm not serving others by allowing them to serve me. Just, just with your eyes closed in this place. If you think, yeah, no, that's me. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you in this moment. Because this is something that we need to get right. We need to serve out of the security that we find in Jesus. And we need to serve in a way that releases others. Come on, I suggest there's more people here that we need to raise our hands in this moment. Father, I thank you that you've given us this call to serve. Father, we want to do it from a place of security. We want to do it from a place of knowing who we are in you. And so we can do it with humility. And Father, we can also release others around us, God. We don't have to run around and make it all happen ourselves. God, we can release others. And in doing that, your kingdom will be established. We thank you, Jesus. Guide us in that. Amen. The other group of people, and you don't need to raise your hand, is that if you're here and you're like, oh, you know what? That struck a chord with me. I need to serve. I need to serve in the, in the life of the church. I need to get on a, on a roster and, and help out with hosting or kids or uh, wherever that is. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Again, let's close your eyes. You don't have to put your hand up. But what I encourage you to do is to come and have a chat with me. Or if you know who's leading the, work, the, the teams, uh, come and have a chat to them. Come and have a chat to Kent about, about kids or to Martin about hosting or, or to me about worship, wherever it is. But we're going to pray right now. We're just going to ask for a conviction of the Holy Spirit around that. And also just around serving in our work, serving in our family, serving in our community. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power of serving. I thank you, Jesus, that you came not as as a leader who lords it over people but one who calms and serves and lifts others up God help us to catch your heart of service show us Lord right now convict us God by your spirit where it is we can serve in the life of the church in the life of our work in the life of our family in our community God show us right now we'll take a moment just to listen to the voice of God Father, give us the courage now after this service to go and to, to action it, God. To go and to talk to that person that we need to talk to, to make it happen so that we can contribute and we can be blessed as we serve. We thank you that you declare there is a blessing, there is a refreshing for those who serve. In Jesus' name, amen. And finally, 
I just want to call to those people who, who need Jesus in your life. You know, Jesus said, uh, I read in that passage earlier, He came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. He sacrificially served to the point of death on a cross. That's the greatest act of service. In fact, John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for a friend. Jesus calls you friend. He laid down his life for you so that you could have that friendship with him. Don't spurn that opportunity. Don't turn that away. Receive that now, just with every eye closed and head bowed. If you're here this morning, you think, man, I need to respond to that offer of friendship. I need God to be my to be my God, to be my Lord, to be my friend. I receive that gift, that sacrificial gift of His Son Jesus on the cross. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand. I'll see it and you can put it down. Is there anybody here this morning? Okay, you can raise your eyes or raise your eyelids. <laughs> raise your heads, look at me, give me a smile. Hey, we do this every week. Unashamedly, we give an opportunity for people to come to know Jesus. Let's bring our friends and our family and our workmates into the space so they can experience the love that we have.